I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Well, this is going to be fun. We're sitting down uh, with our, our new friend, Suzanne Anderson, all the way from Seattle. And um, we're going to be talking about a bunch of stuff that I think is going to be very interesting to us and to our listeners. Um, in particular, we're going to be talking about, uh, I, I mean, I think we're going to be talking about grief and, you know, difficult traumatic events and how to like walk through those, those events, lean into it, if you will. Um, but before we get into it, Suzanne, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hand the mic to you. Uh, give yourself a little introduction. Who is Suzanne Anderson? And uh, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, well, thanks for the invitation. And I do sort of feel I'm in your living room here. That is a, <laughs> you've got it set up. I'm like the fourth chair over here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, first of all, I think I'll say, since this is with CBC, I'm just going to establish my Canadian credentials and say, born in Toronto, but grew up in the Maritimes. Um, we like and, to hear it. We like yeah, to hear it. Yeah. And actually ended up uh, in my very circuitous life journey as a, as a management consultant. Went to UNB, actually, initially. Um, and then my, my dad uh, became president of the university. And so I looked for another school to go to, which, I, <laughs> uh, which was uh, Queens up in uh, Ontario. And from my my first sort of uh, professional gig was in the consulting space. So I was a management consultant for many years. We had an office in Toronto. And, and at a certain point, we were bringing a lot of experiential, educational. That was the early days of, you know, getting executives on ropes courses and things like that. And, uh, and it really took off. We just, you know, this sort of way of learning about oneself through experience was just coming in and our firm took off. And then I ended up being based in, in Paris, in France for seven years, uh, running the, um, the European side of things. But it was during that time that I started to see the few women that were at the senior levels I was working with. And this was in the 90s, so there was a big shift coming in that sort of command and control approach to leadership to something more, you know, sharing information, using intuition, mm. emotional intelligence was just starting to come in. Um, but I saw that women were really suffering and they were almost the hardest clients. You know, they'd become one of the boys, you could say, kind of gotten hardwired in a particular way of thinking and being and were so resistant to change and it surprised me and they were suffering. And so that was, that marked a big shift for me where I thought somebody needs to be looking into this, what's happening here. This doesn't make sense. 
you know, we're at this time where I thought women would be more, would be excited to be moving into these new ways of leading that had more of the feminine and they weren't. So I left, started a private practice in, um, in, in Paris. And then I kind of got in over my head, actually. I, I realized I'm like one coaching session ahead of my clients. <laughs> like I was just yeah. figuring this out, you know, mm. how do women develop and how do I know if I'm in the space where somebody's really having a serious mental episode? Like, how do I differentiate? That was not my training at that time. When I then moved to the United States, um, I uh, went back to graduate school. My focus ended up being women and development, clinical psychology, but in women and development. And then uh, that led to, to um, years of, of doing programs actually for women, which from the very beginning I put in universities so that it wouldn't get be sort of like this thing of women's leadership over here on this side, you know, in an eddy in the river. And um, and that was amazing experience. And as I was saying before we went on the, the recording here, um, we had figured some things out, and uh, and we're having very powerful experiences with with the women we were working with, in terms of let's say, what I would call the developmental move for women, like the next step forward for them. And uh, I wrote a book with my co-author, Dr. Susan Cannon, and we were getting ready to bring it out in the world when. Literally, uh, when um, my husband took his life. Hmm. And, you know, that just marks, that's, you know, in my quick zoom through my life, obviously that's like a exclamation mark. Mm-hmm. That was 10 years ago. Well, that's been a journey. That's what we can probably all talk about is the journey of these 10 years. But in some ways it was like life said, um, okay, this is some great research you've done. and the book is full of case studies, the first book, and um, the, the map, basically, of development for women. But let's see if you can live this. Is, mm. is basically. Mm. Yeah. So but, did, that, so did the, the, the whole, I mean, it sounds really like the way, the way that you kind of led us down the, the sort of chronology of your life is that sort of like unbeknownst to you, a lot of the work that you have been doing um, you know, for the, for the 10, 15 years, you know, leading up to that, that, um, that moment when your husband took his life was really kind of like preparing you to put that into, to put the work that you've been doing into practice in your, in your own experience. Right. I mean, that, that is exactly, that's exactly it. It's almost like, um, because the work I did and do with women is around it's we could say trauma-informed leadership it's really around uh, how the early traumas in our life and these can be developmental not just situational like literally the way in which your your father yelled at you and um every time you said something you know powerful or strong and you put that part of yourself away and you tuck it away into the shadows we call those you know any kind of actually what i call trauma is anything that just is an event that's larger than your nervous system can handle mm-hmm. so i was already doing that work that was the work i was doing was sort of helping equipping um women and then obviously doing it myself um to be able to be in this complex world with more capacity Susan, you, you, you mentioned that, uh, you were like 
taking the book to to be published at that time and that you were learning these really powerful things um, that you wanted to share. What like what were those powerful things that were in this first book that you were like taking to the public at, at that time that this happened? Yeah, thanks. That's a, that's a great um, invitation to talk about the thing that I love, which is um, basically our view and our, our research would say that we, this would be for humans, men and women, but we've reached a kind of the end of a particular paradigm of wholeness or way of being in the world that's based on a more masculine model of wholeness, which we know is, has been for about 5,000 years. And um, that, that the, my own interest in, let's say, experience then was with women that we're, we're making an evolutionary move forward now, that we actually need these new capacities that are just coming online now in men and in women, but in, as I say in my work with women, because of the complexity of the world. And that's always how development happens. It happens like, you know, as a little kid, you're crawling and then you want something over there faster and you can't get to it. So your little brain is developing. And then all of a sudden you go through the discomfort of learning how to walk because you want that thing, you know, that that's development. But as adults, we kind of think, okay, we're all grown up. We we've done the developing. And uh, I would say, no, that is not true. And in fact, the studies that were done around development at Harvard for a year and all of the, the studies prior to Carol Gilligan were using male subjects. So it was mm -hmm. sort of looking at how men develop and not understanding how women develop. So my work is basically saying we have this big call, evolutionary call, because, you know, Einstein's quote, the consciousness that we have today can't solve the problems we created yesterday, right? With that consciousness, we've got to grow. So mm -hmm. there's this call to grow and, and it's going to have something to do with understanding what is the feminine. What does that even mean? Everyone's talking about, oh, you know, for years now, the, the feminine, we need more feminine. Well, what is that? What does that mean? And what is the masculine? And how do those two forces come together? So I think the, the work we do is really help women uh, find or let's see, retrieve parts of themselves that got split off in the shadows. Mm. and integrate them and that and we do that through this very precise um quite surgical in a certain way lens of this of working with feminine and masculine um essences inside ourselves is that is that mm. kind of clear sort of clear <laughs> yeah that, that makes sense to me i i i'm i'm really interested and i i find that that's such a it's it feels like such a powerful lesson to 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 take away and learn. And I can understand, you know, your, your feeling to like have to go and, and, and sh share this. I find it so um, difficult to like wrap my head around this idea of like going through such a traumatic event with your husband. And I think of the like idea that, you know, people say, people say that like you, no matter how much you train for like a difficult situation like that, you'll, you're never really prepared for it until you're, you're in it. I guess yeah. what was your experience like in knowing that you sort of had this understanding, these these like tools that you had been working on, but then getting to this point in your life where you're like, oh, this is, you know, this is my exclamation point. Yeah. This is this traumatic event for me. Yeah, I, sh I surely did not um, 
go through it uh, with my textbook, you know, like I didn't even have that book yet, right? I just had a manuscript right. and and I wasn't thinking, uh, and then this is trauma, just like you gave that that example. You you have what you have available, you know, when the, the shit hits the fan. And um, but what I what I will say is um, I was probably more prepared than others would be because of the work, not just what I knew intellectually but what I'd actually kind of installed in myself. I sometimes talk about this as an inner operating system, this way of being in this sort of upgraded inner operating system. And for example, um, one of the things, and this is one of the stories I, I tell in the book, um, because one of the hardest things when something like this happens is you can't believe this is happening to you. You just can't believe it. I mean, to just make it... Uh, to try to situate the moment for you all um, and your listeners, I really lived what I would call this kind of dream life. I had met my beloved partner, David, uh, 10 years earlier, and I'd been, I'd been married once and divorced. And, and really, he was, it was like meeting this person I was kind of looking for all my life in a way. It was, it was a beautiful kind of... Uh, re-meeting and then and then life together and then we, he himself was a, a really remarkable man and had built oh, he was an Indonesian antique uh, collector and had a store a big store in Seattle but also um, had brought these buildings over from Indonesia antique temples and other buildings and had a property on an island near Seattle where we lived where he had these things he brought them over he, he put took them all down piece by piece in indonesia oh my god brought them over in a container like lego you know put them all up with the indonesian carpenters there and it was like a magical magical world and uh, that i moved into with him and really brought alive in many ways and truly otherworldly i mean and um i was doing what i love to do i i you know it was like <laughs> I was in my happy place, this deep, deep sense of of belonging, of joy. Um, I was about to launch a new program after taking a year out to write. Uh, we were about to host a wedding the, two days later that his um, niece and his best friend in Indonesia's son were getting married that he brought together. Wow. So picture this, right? We've got all the people from Indonesia. Um in Seattle, and uh, so, so just to put this picture now. Now, David had gotten. I guess I'm going down a different trail here, Brian. No, that's, no, <laughs> From what that's you okay. asked, but it feels like it's probably good to situate this mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, to understand what it was for me, because you know when when this happened, he had already he for about three months had this tinnitus, this crazy. Uh, ringing in the head, you may be familiar with. Mm -hmm. Yep, and and it was really hard for him because he couldn't get into these high meditation states that he liked to get into, and he couldn't solve his problems, and he wasn't sleeping. Um, but we he was kind of getting his hands around that, I think. But uh, but what was really going on, I believe, along with that, the the, the big underlying piece was he he basically built castles in the air this was an enormous estate we had it was 
you know, an extraordinary, as I said, um, otherworldly place. And but it but it was it had no foundation, and his business was about to come tumbling down. Mm. But I, I, you know, and this is of course anyone who's been as a survivor of a suicide, you go through all the things about what you might have seen and didn't see and weren't willing to see. Um, but David was very, very good at keeping this compartmentalization, which is which mm -hmm. can happen. Mm -hmm. And um, it was such an enormous shock. It was, uh, you know, there was no part of me that was was um, going through a manual like the book I just written. There was literally, as I say, I'm back there now to you know what I have. I have. And, uh, you know, the, the, all the, the heroic part of me was shattered. The teacher was shattered. The, 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 I'll get through this no matter what shattered. I mean, I really was taken down to my core and found that I was there. You know, the, someone was present, uh, me. And I'll just say that was, that was ground zero for me. It was just mm. that I had that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I, I mean, we, we've talked about, um, we've talked about suicide on the podcast a number of times. Oftentimes it, it comes up in the context of someone who has suicidal ideation through what, you know, whatever it is that they're, they're dealing with. Um, but we haven't really had an opportunity to speak to someone who's been, who's been affected by it in the way that you have. Um, and, you know, on top of that, we also speak about grief quite a, quite a bit. And grief, I think, is uh, no matter no matter how you put it, like grief is grief is hard. And and it, that that's grief of, you know, a grief of a divorce, grief of the you know, the the death of a pet, grief of the loss of someone close to you. But when I, when I think about the grieving process of someone that you lost to, to them taking their own life, I feel like that's a, I mean, I, in my mind, I, I haven't been there. I haven't had that experience, but I, I imagine if I was to sit here and imagine it, it feels, it feels like it would be a really unique type of grief compared to anything else that I've felt. Um, and I'm wondering if you can like walk us through that experience. What, what is that grief like for someone who is also so close to the person who took their life? Um, did you, did you struggle with, did you struggle with like feelings of, of anger or like disappointment? Um, and and how did you manage that? Like, how did, how did you manage those, those feelings that come with that type of grief that I feel is so unique to, to losing someone by, from, by suicide, you know, compared to like, you know, my, our friend Brandon dies of cancer and yeah, there's grief, there's grief there. And like, there's anger at like the fact that he was young and had cancer, but mm -hmm. Brandon just, that was, that was, that was his path. And if Brandon took his life, I feel like I would just be, there would be part of me that would be like so hurt that yeah. 
maybe he was, you know, why, why, why would like, why, why do that to all of us? You know, even though I know that that's probably not healthy, but like, I'm just curious about your experience in, in trying to manage like some really tough feelings that come with the loss of someone who takes their own life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's true that there's a complex stew um, emotionally around a suicide Mm. and um, I think the way to go in to talk about this would be to say, I, uh, I had already, and I, you know, had an understanding about the emotional body, let's say, and this is really key for, for anybody going through something like this, that, that, you know, the way feelings move and the way they want to move, you know, the heart kind of like an ocean. And often we get either too attached to them or we don't want to feel them. So let's say I already somewhat knew how to surf, but I'd certainly never been in in waves like this. And uh, I had the whole range of feelings as did many others around the suicide. Um, So for sure, the 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 grief absolutely the anger how could you do this i'm about to launch a book we're about to have a wedding you know what what how could you do the the terror of my life because within six months literally everything in my outer world was gone david took um with his life sort of my world as i knew it because financially everything was wiped away zero so that was, you know, enormous um, anxiety and just mm. sheer terror about w- what would happen next. But I also would say that um, uh, one of the key things I did from the very beginning and, and knew to do, because I, I do teach this, is work with, with a ritual. And, and the reason I did that was because trauma um, and, and a complex trauma like suicide the uh, it's very much in the right brain. That's the whole part of the system. And definitely in the unconscious, like you, you can't figure this out with your left brain and you will try. And I did try, you know, try to understand why, try to work with psychics, try to talk to somebody who will maybe talk to him before it happened. I mean, you know, you're doing everything. You're scrambling with the left brain. Mm. Meanwhile, the body is like, has got to be spoken to. And so very early, I did a number of rituals. And one that I think was really powerful that I'll just share a bit about was the, um, because this this really, this is, I would say, one of the ways, and I wrote these in the book, uh, you make your path by walking so that people would have examples that they could create of the of, for themselves. But mm. So all of my close friends, people that were really impacted by this um, and family that were wanted to come, uh, this was hosted by Michael Mead. I don't know if you know Michael Mead's work. He does, mm. he actually does great, a lot of work with, with men and he's a ritual elder, has written a lot of different books and he lives on the same island that I lived on and he facilitated this so beautifully. And we used to sort of process it that he's worked with before and, um, where people were invited to just say and f- express whatever they were feeling. Cause the point is the more you can be congruent with what you're feeling in the, you know, as it moves through you in these wave fronts, the better. 
right? That's the biggest thing we can do in those kinds of traumas. So the very th the began, um, I had gotten this bowl, um, this antique Chinese bowl that was from David's collection, had a little chip out of it, but very precious. And we were all gathered in, in, in front of the, the hearth, um, which was a stone hearth. My, my friend Antonia was rattling in the shamanic. Have you ever heard the shamanic rattles? And you've heard somebody mm -hmm. do that. Yeah, like this crazy, crazy kind of, you know, seems like she has eight hands and she's rattling. And when it got to sort of a fever pitch, I just smashed this vessel on the uh, on the hearth and it and it broke into a million pieces. And it was like something in the room. And again, this is about congruence, because I knew there was no putting back together again me or my Ooh. life in some old way and that for everybody else you know so let's just be a and then from there it went to people being able to express what they were feeling for some people that was anger in the moment and after they expressed it they would take a bow a cedar bow and put it on the fire and send a blessing to david some people were were sobbing Ooh. some people so you know, could be the whole range. So I think the the way, and I did many other rituals along the way in those early days, were so helpful for me. Mm -hmm. But I, 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 mm -hmm. sorry, yeah, I was gonna say I I really love that you brought that up. Um, I I just recently uh, finished a, a a death doula training, mm -hmm. and one of the one of the parts of the training that um that I that I really really enjoyed learning about was the importance of holding vigil and, and like the, the, like sort of using that time uh, when someone is coming to the end of their life to find meaning in that whole process. And so, you know, it's, it's exactly what you're speaking to. It's, it's like creating ritual around, around the time that is tough um, to bring people together, to find meaning, to, to um, create, you know, a sense of bonding um, for everybody that's involved. Um, and I'm curious about this, you know, in particular, what, what you're talking about now, which, which, you know, it sounds like is a, is, is a, is one of the aspects of your book. You make your path by walking. Um, if you can speak to, so it, it makes sense to me the, why ritual is important. But I think when, when people hear that or when they, you know, a lot of people don't put much thought into how to create ritual. Or like, you know, when, when I bring up the idea of like holding vigil for someone, a lot of people just don't think like, well, what does that mean? What are, what are the things that you could do? And there's so many, there's, I mean, you can do, it's your choose your own adventure. You can do whatever means something to you. But I think a lot of people sort of like need examples to kind of put that in, to make their, to get those creative juices flowing. So I'm wondering if you could like, how does someone create ritual around trauma or create ritual around times of uncertainty? What are the things that like people could think about to create their own ritual so that they can find, you know, whatever it is that they're looking for peace or meaning or, um, you know, a sense of calm in, a, in, in the, in the thick of a storm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I would say you can do rituals on your, on your own. So that's also very much, you know, mm -hmm. You can do that. But I would also just say that we're neurologically wired for connection. We 
we want and need connection. And one of the things that happens during trauma is we isolate. And during a suicide, it is really a big thing. And I was determined not to have that happen. So in other words, you know, the 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 trauma response sometimes is, I just got to go deal with this by myself. I don't want to tell anybody I'm okay. Everything's okay. Even, you know, it's been a couple of uh, months of this thing. I've got to be feeling better now. And so I'm okay. Or in suicide, this is so toxic. I just don't want to be around anybody. So um, I think there is a real potency to collective ritual. And I want to just name mm-hmm. that, uh, mm-hmm. that, that, that you can do that like a, like a vigil, for example. But the main elements of, you know, the gut away, you have to think about ritual. And it is a language that I feel we've lost in, in, in Western culture. And the indigenous culture still very much use ritual. It's, it's a language and it's mm-hmm. very common and it's not considered woo-woo or new age. Um, because it speaks to the body because it speaks so there's the somatic intelligence there's emotional intelligence and there's social intelligence because you're in a you're in a field you know you're in a field with others and you can actually bring enormous resonance which is what i was trying to do with the collective through ritual and um the way you have to think about it is you need some way to mark an entry so a clear beginning and that can be you know whatever that is lighting a candle mm-hmm. that could be ringing a singing bowl that could be something that where you say i'm leaving ordinary mind my more let's say left brain rational world and i'm entering into this other way of seeing and thinking mm-hmm. and being that will engage these other realms that i just told you about so um and then similarly how you close so you mark a close that's you know you blow out the candle or again you ring a bowl and then you, you're looking for symbols. And I and I, I wrote a lot of the rituals I used um, in the book, again, so people could see what I did, but, uh, but have it as examples of what they could do. You know, what is the symbol? People, when, when David died, one of the first things that happened was in one of the temples that we had on the property, um, we created a, a little altar, actually, of... of uh, meditation cushions where people could come and sit and a little tree with a piece of little, you know, branch with a piece of paper, pieces of paper, people could write their little blessings um, with singing bowls they could ring. And, and I, and we just made it open to people to, they Mm -hmm. could come up the driveway and go in there. And that would, that was a kind of ritual, right? That, ah, okay, now I'm in a space where I'm so confused by what's happening or I'm so angry or whatever it is, and I can just come in here and rest. So, so maybe that's a, a, a start for mm-hmm. basically mm-hmm. to encourage you. You're learning a new language. It's like if you don't know how to speak French, yeah. you know, at first you got to just get the basic uh, verbs. Porn, Satan, drugs, therapy. It's not just the list of what I'm up to this weekend. I'm comedian Kiki Anderson, and those are just a handful of the taboo topics I've poked and prodded at so far on my podcast, Indecent, the show where we peel at the wallpaper of polite society. Each episode digs into the dark underbelly of our culture to dissect the things we aren't allowed to talk about around the dinner table, featuring conversations with comedians, activists, journalists, academics. They all help me figure out the who, what, and why behind what is and isn't acceptable behavior. Indecent with Kiki Anderson, where NSFW meets LMAO. Mwah.
in in listening to you speak over the past like 10 or 15 minutes um and in those two questions that you asked there Jerry like uh, there's um like what it, what do you find is do you or do you find i guess is that is that there is a is there a is there a block with people in 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 sort of like when i heard you when i heard you explain the the breaking of the bowl it's like oh that's such a beautiful metaphor mm-hmm. for your life um and how you felt in the moment like you know this bowl breaks into a million pieces just like my life and i can't put it back together and like nor and 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 likely like nor should i try to to put it back together cuz it's it, you know that's it's not it's not meant to be put back together exactly the way that it was um, it's right. meant to kind of evolve into a different form and and then and then this like this part of my brain when i heard you say that thought of the thought of like the the like silly the like silly logical too rational version of of a person that would go but why would you break a bowl <laughs> you know you know like right. you know like but why would you break a bowl it's got value this like it's got like you could you could sell it <laughs> yeah and, this and, is important wait can i just come in here for a second sure. i think that's really great that you're bringing that up because this is the difference between ordinary mind Mm -hmm. and then the mind that you evoke in ritual it's like you because there's and i use ritual in my programs all the time and afterwards you know the 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 team will be will be will be will be laughing about can you believe what we just did i mean this is Mm -hmm. outrageous what we just did because ordinary mind would go why are you putting that piece of cloth around and why is everybody going underneath that cloth and (laughs) you know and and knowing thinking they're going down into the descent of all you know or whatever no the, the ordinary mind uh will make fun of it and that's okay Mm-hmm. That that's why you have to create the conditions, though, right, for the person to get called into this these other parts of their yeah, and and mm-hmm. and and, and I, that's that's that that is exactly what I was thinking in the, in ter- in the terms of like we we operate we are conditioned in such a way to operate in on this like level of you know like optimal efficiency and logic and rationale in our everyday lives, and then um, and then. This thing happens, um, such as the death of a loved one, that is this like, you know, the most fundamental human experience um, that everybody shares and will, or will share at some point in their life and everyone will go through it themselves at some point. Um, and, and, and so I, I feel like it's got, this, it's got this tie to like the most like fundamental elements of what it means to be a human. Um, and, 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 and yet... And, and and so it's sort of like this call to 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 like suspend the to suspend the current programming. Yeah, you know, I mean, to suspend honestly, the like, current like I'm going through my everyday yeah. life with all these rational thoughts and yeah. all these logical thinkings and and like this is the way that I do things, and then to to just get called back to something that's like yeah. my, that that your regular everyday self might think is a little weird or a little off or a sure. little like whatever. I mean, but I I think for, for anyone. For anyone who's like having a hard time conceptualizing what that like, how on earth could I step into that space? Mm. Because it's it just seems so silly, or it seems so embarrassing, or whatever. I mean, if you can, and and maybe this isn't a great analogy, but but it, but it, it sort of makes sense to me. It's like, have you ever cried listening to a song? Have you ever have you ever got emotional watching a film or reading a book? Mm-hmm. It's no different than that. Your turn. I mean. To sit and listen to music and then start crying, 
that's pretty silly too. It's right. just music, you, you know, but, but like kind of, what you're in, you, is, you give is, away is, to it. You, you give yourself to this thing. Exactly. Yeah. You're already in a trauma situation like mm. this. Like mm. I went through. You're in what we call a liminal space. The left brain actually goes off the prefrontal lobe. You don't really have it in the same way. It's gone because it's, you're trying to get away. You're trying to, you know, let's get out of here. We got to go somewhere. So the, you're in your body anyway, you're in your emotions. Unfortunately, we don't really know that or understand that or create the conditions to speak to that part of ourselves. And this becomes really critical because what can so often happen is there's a sense of if I can just get, you know, I'm just going to get through this thing and get over there and then my life will start, right? And this will be, I got to get somewhere other than here. And probably one of the biggest and deepest um, changes in my own experience and in myself was what it means to be right here. Like, you know, I, you know, when you are right up against as you're, if you're in your death doula training journey, you know, this sense of the impermanence of, of life, but of actually of any moment of anything, you know, we think it's going to go on forever. I thought my life was going to go on forever. How could it not? And then all of a sudden it's like gone, boom. And there's just this void and this surrender then to this is my life right now, right now. And and how do you keep bringing yourself back there? And that is the piece of work, right? Because mm. the, the, you know, you want to go somewhere else. I want to be the person later. Like I could never have imagined this person here now. Mm-hmm. Ten years ago, mm-hmm. Ten years ago I, my job was you make your path by walking was literally to be able to take the next step in front of me and the next step. And like, this is my life. I will not get this day back. I will not get this moment back. How am I going to live this? I'm, I'm, I'm curious. I really wanted to know, Suzanne. Um, it sounds like I'm a, I'm a huge uh, advocate for therapy, and have found a lot of you know personal benefit over the last few years in in working with a, a therapist and talk therapy. And I, I, I feel like I see a lot of parallels in the experience of going to therapy. Um, other than the fact that you you highlighted the point that like, you know, in that sort of like liminal space, you're of, of being in a traumatic situation, like you're in the trauma at that time and in therapy, you're, you're not necessarily experiencing the trauma when you go to therapy to talk about a past trauma. Um, but I'm curious, like with your background and, and studying the psychological side too, like what sort of parallels are there with you know, something like ritual and, and being aware of your, your physical self and your feelings and going through an experience like this with the experience of, of going to therapy. Right. Well, there are different kinds of therapy too. There are some therapies that are EMDR, which is great. For example, with, with I do trauma. a lot of EMDR. It's uh, right. I find it really helpful. Powerful and somatic therapies, but I think it's, um, it's a great, from my perspective, I I did everything that I could. And and so talk therapy, I had a, a a therapist who I was had been already had worked with before. And then that was a super important holding for me. And actually, I'll just say, you know, the, we know so much more now about trauma and therapy and talking about things. Initially, we thought, 
you know, it's good to decondition you to start talking right away about the trauma. It took me several years to be ready to actually go back to the trauma itself and talk about it. And actually, but I needed to do that. That was a piece of it. I also did somatic things. Um, I also did energetic things. I mean, I think when you're going through something like this, the more support you can get, the better. For sure. Yeah. yeah. I, in terms of like, like, I'm also curious because I, I like with my, my own experience, I'm, um, I guess, so when I was 15, my parents got divorced and, uh, in looking back on that experience, I realized how traumatic that was for me at the time. And I identify with that, that feeling of like your, your entire world and your understanding of the world just like being taken away. And, and now there's this like new thing. Um, you know, when I was an, a young teenager, I thought, you know, my, we have a, my parents are together. I, we have a house with a two car garage and a middle-class neighborhood and, you know, a stay at home mom and everything's so great. And then, you know, the next day like that, my life totally changed. And my understanding of like what the world was, was totally different. And I didn't have the the skills no, or tools, that, especially at that age, to to deal with something like that. And I remember my emotional reaction in that situation being like, "No, no, 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 no! Like this, this has to stay the same. This can't be changing. Like I want to hold on to this." And I think of my experience in going to therapy now over the past few years, and how that might prepare me for the next traumatic event that I experience in my life. And I think well, that I'm imagining yeah. that you, there's a part of you, and so, and you could maybe share this. But I mean, what if you could summarize, like, what part of you got split off there during that trauma that you now have in your being because of the work you've done that would be helpful if you know a trauma occurred? Mm-hmm. Like, what part of me was taken during that last traumatic event, or what have I yeah, learned? Yeah. So, like, during the when that split happened, and you, as you said, lots went yeah. on. You know, what part of you got what, what we we say, it sort of gets put into the unconscious, like, mm-hmm. I just won't deal with this, but yeah. you're getting it back now that might have mm-hmm. you yeah. more equipped, more resilient. I think like trust and a feeling of security mm-hmm. um, was for sure taken from me because I, I think things that I believed to be true, I felt like I learned to be not true. And then and then I I found that I really struggled for a long time to ever be able to trust what I what I saw in front of me and what I was being told. And I think in going through therapy, that has helped me understand the nuance of that feeling. I was saying to the guys the other day, I had this like a epiphany last week in, in therapy where I realized that the things that I bring to my, my therapy sessions are like all of these extreme feelings that I feel. So like I, I feel this extreme way about this thing and I know emotionally it, it feels like I, I react emotionally to it. And I don't have the tools to understand all the factors that lead to that emotional feeling. And right. in going to therapy, I'm able to like sort of better understand that feeling and, and why I might feel that way and the sort of nuance to the situation so that when I'm in that situation or I think about that thing, you know, whether it's a feeling of like, like insecurity or lack of trust, then I can start to understand like why that feeling is the way that it is and realize that maybe that feeling isn't necessarily appropriate, not appropriate, but doesn't 
maybe necessarily have to match the current situation because yeah, of it. Yeah, that's great. And also the way in which you would have more of a relationship with your feeling realm. So that, in other mm. words, you know, the, the things that get split off, it, it isn't just, a, obviously, as you know, you know, it's not just the cognitive understanding, but it's, you actually start to create more space. There's that wonderful quote, I'm sure you know, by Viktor Frankl, between stimulus and response, you know, this one, yeah. there's a space. Yeah. And in that space is our freedom to choose no one in and in that space is our ability to respond and then our response is the is our growth and our freedom mm -hmm. so we're looking to create more space all the time between the things that happen in the outer world and and um and our response to it and i will say one of the things that happens during a, a big trauma or any you know a life event let's say that comes along is you get to see how much space you have you know and so mm -hmm. you might you, you're building your 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 own excavation right now is just getting more of yourself available. That's what you're saying. Mm -hmm. how, that's how I hear it. Mm -hmm. and, and life will deal. You know, life deals things. Hopefully, not you know super difficult, but it will deal things to all of us. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, um, like with like in particular the physical sensation. Um, I know with like EMDR, I, I really feel I feel like a physical response. Um, to the like stress and and the traumas that I feel and um I know that like when I'm you know when I'm doing um some of the work that I do in, in my sessions I like I'll start to yawn a lot um and I I didn't really fully understand I didn't understand at all how physical our response to trauma and stress can can be can you talk a little bit about like your experience with the yeah. physical you know, I'm going to, I'm going to dive right into the recent because, um, it's so graphic for me. Uh, I'm getting, you know, the book launched last week and there was a big, um, an, uh, an in-person event, launch event on Tuesday when the book actually came out. And there are all these stages of, of actually, you know, living the experience first of all, and then eventually getting back, deciding I needed to write it for my own healing. And then ultimately, you know, deciding it would be of service. But about a week prior to this, I just, I, oh, I was having so much anxiety, I'll just say, coming up. And I kind of felt like a wet blanket. Every morning I'd wake up, I'd feel like dread. Now I know I have morning practices, about two hours of practices that I do every day. And I can work my way through that when I come out of the unconscious with all of that feeling. And I did this from day two, <laughs> you know, basically from the day that David died, I had these practices in place and they were so, so helpful to me um, to drag yourself out of the unconscious. But what I realized was, and I, I started to just journal and talk it through, was that there was a part of me that didn't want to cross this threshold. You know, it was, this marked the, the, the coming out with the book and the, and the bringing of of my book into the world also was sort of, you know, in the hero's journey, we have these, you know, there's the descent, you go down, as Joseph Campbell laid it out, there's the initiation, and then there's the return. Like, this was a return, and it was a really important return. In fact, I laid out the book in that template of the hero's journey, heroine's journey. And I knew, you know, like, coming out with this is like, you're something, a different stage. And I, I slowed myself down. You know, Brian, that was the thing for me. It's like we get going so fast and the 
the beautiful mind can go so fast, but the body and the feelings go slower. So slowing myself down was everything. Like I literally was taking myself by the hand and saying, I get it, honey. There's a part of you that's really afraid, you know, that do you, it's a vulnerable story I'm sharing. I'm not, I, my first book is not my personal story. It's mm. me, the the teacher, you know, this is my vulnerable story. This is, um, does this mean I move farther away from the, you know, the, the David, let's say, and, and is, and I want to, I mean, I want that release, but at the same time, there's that part. So, um, so I would just say that's how the feeling nature works. And if we can slow ourselves down to just be with the feelings, they will move. And the moment I did that, the moment I got that, and I got that part of me that needed my attention, the part that was afraid and sad, mm -hmm. um, it changed. I mean, like literally the next day, the, mm -hmm. the anxiety wasn't there in the morning in the same way. And yeah. That's really beautiful. Um, I figured out if you want to, I know maybe it's a little bit soon to talk about a third book, but if you want a hack for slowing down, I've got a hack. <laughs> I love, I love hack. a, I love a good hack. hack. Which um, hack? My hack is, is get a dog. It's, <laughs> you know, it's honestly been like, I, I, I say that kind of joke. Or have but, a kid, right? Tay? Maybe yeah. just like have a kid that yeah. slows it all down. Yeah, 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 yeah. But what yeah. I, but what I mean by that actually is, is I, I got a, a golden retriever a couple of years ago. Um, I love him very much and taking him to the park um, like every day for a walk and being yeah. able to like walk outside in nature for, you know, half an hour to an hour um, to start the day is like probably is probably is one of the greatest slowing down things that I've had happen in my life un unintentionally. But now that it's, you know, had such a positive effect, I, I notice it a little bit more. Well, so, I'm going to add to yeah. that one. I'm going to add to that without the dog. I have cats. I'm a cat person. So I got, I got three cats. But the two, the the two hacks. Uh, one is um, napping with my cat. I've actually mm. been an endorser. I used to teach um, when when we did our programs in the university. It was like like basically give yourself permission to nap. I would when people would call the office, and if I was napping, which I I like to do every afternoon, a short nap. I, I would always make sure the, um, the office manager said I'm napping, like not, don't keep it a secret, like advertising. Yeah. So that's yeah. one. Um, and, the cat, and I and put the cat in my little belly and her, so it's very cute. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is, um, something I do, and this, I do like a practice now after lunch midday, I do what I'm calling or it's called an awe, A-W-E walk, which is okay. Without the dog, then I'm to stop and let it do its thing. Um, <laughs> But I'm not doing podcasts. I'm not, you know, talking on the phone. I'm literally, it's 10 minutes. I mean, we know there's this, you probably know Tim Ferriss and his work and, you know, Peter T and guys like that. And we know that there's the, 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 uh, the glucose, you want to put the glucose in the muscle after you eat. So I, I really love, always love moving after, after eating. And so there's the, the just sort of moving it doesn't have to be long, five to 10 minutes but I'm only looking at the plant or I'm looking at, Oh, where did that house, that house just got a new railing. Like I'm letting myself be touched by whatever I see and not mm -hmm. having a purpose and not learning anything and not talking to anybody, just that sort of 
strolling being mm-hmm. while my body does its processing of whatever I've eaten. That's awesome. I mean, I, I we're we're coming up to to time here, but um, I really appreciate. Like, I always love getting the opportunity to speak to someone who, who is, um, you know, a big proponent of like creating ritual, creating good habits, um, like practices, these things that like allow us to get through life. That which is hard, you know. Life is just sometimes hard, and w- these practices are things that allow us to get you know, to get to the other side of things where it, it doesn't have to necessarily feel so hard. But one thing that I, that I know a lot of people struggle with is, is putting these practices into effect and like, you know, and developing these, these kinds of habits or rituals. So do you, for those folks that like hear this and they go, okay, yeah, I know it sounds like, sure, I should meditate once a day, but like, fuck, I don't have time or whatever. <laughs> Do you have anything to say to those people as like a, a piece of advice to maybe start these types of practices or start these types of things that yeah. you might come across in, in your book um, to kind of kickstart that, that part of your life? I mean, like I just started going to the gym uh, 12 weeks ago now. And prior to that, I would never, I was never going to the gym. Yeah. Thanks buddy. Uh, and then I started going t- five days a week, which is, which like, if you had asked me mm-hmm. four months ago, like, Hey, do you, like, what do you think about going to the gym five days a week? I go with what time? Like you're, you're crazy. If you think I'm going to be going to the gym five days a week for an hour and a half, sometimes two hours a day, like get out of here. But now that I'm doing it, I'm like, fuck, if I don't go to the gym today, right. I'm going to, I'm going to feel like a, a heap of hot trash. So like, how do you, What's the thing that you like to tell people to try to encourage them to develop the, the move desire of the boulder? Yeah. To move that boulder. Yeah. Well, I think I want to start by saying this is the title, the title of the book. You make your path by walking is basically it's, it's, it's a line taken from one of my favorite poems by Antonio Machado. But the basic point is it isn't, so much what happens to you because as you said and we're all saying you know life happens hard things happen great things happen this is actually the human journey but it is how we respond to those things and the possibility that how you go through that trauma or loss has everything to do with where you end up and the real possibility that the fire of that kind of a situation actually opens up gives you the you know the cracking open your cracking open can be the possibility for emergence of like a you you don't know yet so i just want to say that like it's it literally how you go through is the destination and so people that that's why i just want to keep reinforcing this being with what is being in this thing. So the 2% more is my rule. It's like, you know, the movement, you make your path by walking, you do have to move, you have to, I don't mean there aren't times to be still, as we've said, but I'm saying, there's a movement to life, and you need to be in that movement. And if it's just 2%, so if for somebody, um, and I'm speaking in particular to people going through trauma and loss, you know, I can't even get out of bed in the morning. I had a I had a practice uh, uh, that every morning, the one thing I would require of myself was simply to sit myself on the side of the bed 
And then I would do this little prayer of, I'm so grateful to be embodied. You know, I'm here. May my choices today and my life be a blessing. David isn't here. I am. May it be a blessing. And, and, you know, at the beginning, I didn't even, I didn't feel it at all. I didn't, Mm. I wasn't grateful. I didn't feel like a blessing, but it tilted my awareness. You know, we are, we can choose where our mind stream goes and we can start to direct it. So that was a 2% move. And then I was up and then I do the next thing. So I'd say, start with the thing close in, start with the one thing, you know, like for you, you found, okay, I want to exercise. Or if you say, let's, I'm going to stay with the trauma theme here again, because movement exercise is really key. So no, I don't want to go to the gym. I don't even want to see anybody, but I will go and walk down the road and around the corner and back. And I will may, I will say, I have to do that today. You know, I'll give myself that task. And so pick the little things and we, and the, the, the big changes happen 2% at a time. They're not mm. the big, you know, the huge, I go five hours, five hours. At a, if you tried to do that initially, you wouldn't have done it. Mm. Buy a dog. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I heard. The name of Suzanne's next book. <laughs> Buy a dog, nap, nap with a cat. Yeah, no, I think, thank you. I got the <laughs> Um Suzanne, I mean, this has been, it's been a real treat to be able to sit down and pick your brain about, um, about the things that you've dedicated your life to teaching um, and, uh, you know, I, I, we definitely see the value in that and I'm glad we had the opportunity to chat with you one more time. Um, the book is, uh, you make your path by walking. Where can people find the book? Yeah. You make your path by walking a transformational field guide through trauma and loss. So mm. that's the subtitle and, um, they can find it on Amazon. I always like to say, go to your local, you got a great book bookstore in, in Halifax So go to your local bookstore um order it but you can of course get it everywhere else online and my website is mysterial woman m-y-s-t-e-r-i-a-l woman.com to find out more about all the things that i'm up to and uh yeah it's been great to 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 talk with you all thank you taylor for opening the door for the conversation Mm. Yeah, today really appreciate it. Very, very, uh, very happy to. I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad. I know that my 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 mom put me um, onto you and put us in touch. She's done some work with you and and has spoken so highly of you over uh, over the past. I guess it's. I I feel like it's been at least a couple of years now. That's been a couple of years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I'm glad that she 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 put us in touch. Uriel's a mysterious woman. She is, yeah. Oh yeah. Sure. She sure moves in. Is. She moves in mysterious ways. I'll tell you, <laughs> I'll tell you that much. <laughs> She does. <laughs> she really yeah, does. She really she does. She really does. Yeah, she really does. I'm. Um, she can do Bird of Paradise like nobody's business. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, I, 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 I was. Uh, I, I didn't get to ask you. Kind of asked this question. I, and I, I, I don't mean to like to, to jump back in, but I was like, uh, like one of the things that was crossing my mind. You sort of asked it at the end there, Jared. Was like how people put these, how, how people put stuff into practice mm. when they learn it. When you learn it in a common, when you learn things in a common environment that are necessary and useful in very not common environments. Right. Yeah. And it's like something that, um, just speaking of my mom, I, I'm not sure if you're aware, Suzanne, my mom and I run yoga teacher trainings together and like we, yeah. we, we will like go through this training, which is like there's so much introspection and stuff in, involved in, in the trainings and then going and then coming to a point where it's like, yeah, this is all well and good and like, 
I know that we're all very excited about like learning about all these things because people go through these like really, really amazing kind of like self-discovery journeys. And then, and then, and then, and then having like kind of like the tough conversation that eventually comes where it's like, this stuff is, I know this is all great right now, but this stuff is going to be the most useful in the times that suck the most. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like that's where like that's the space that's where funny. This stuff like really comes along. I've always said that about uh doing my first yoga teacher training. I was like, I know that I left the place going, I know that no matter how things get in my life, I always have this place to come back to and do this experience again because I feel like it will help yeah. get me back on the right track. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the important part to all that is that, you know, it's it's about developing the practices. Before in your everyday yeah exactly develop the practices and and become familiar with those practices before it's it, it before you need right, it but then and then when life happens it's like rather than say oh damn i'm not prepared i didn't you know, i just started meditating or whatever it's like no actually this is a very alchemical time this is a hot fire Ooh. life just offered you this Mm-hmm. You don't want it to happen, but here it is. And you can fire so many things together. What fires together, wires together. you can grow in amazing ways in that fire um, mm-hmm. as long as you turn toward it. And, yeah. and that's the, that's the, the yeah. point of the book, really, is to invite it's a, people. It's such a crossroads. It can, be, it can be such a make it or break it opportunity Absolutely. for somebody when they're going through something that's really tough. Well, again, thank you so much. This has been a real treat. And uh, we really appreciate you t- taking time on your schedule to chat with us. Yeah, thank you very much, guys. That is it for this week's edition of Routine Checkup. Thank you so much for tuning in, folks. It means the world to us. And if you'd like to continue listening to the podcast, you can do that right here on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And of course, if you want to support the podcast further, you can leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, or you can simply rate the podcast on your Spotify mobile app. And uh, even better than that, why don't you tell someone that you know, tell someone that you love, tell someone that you don't know, that you listen to Sick Boy Podcast and recommend it to them because we always love those extra ears. The podcast is produced and hosted by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Brian Stever, and Taylor McGilvery. The podcast is managed by Jeffrey Lonis at Talent Bureau. The theme music for today's episode comes from Rich O'Coin. Thanks again, folks. Hope you enjoyed it, and we'll be back next week. That's it for now. My name is Jeremy, and this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.